The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys and Brew Bar. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. Because we learned it from you, Dad. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Harry Potter edition. Today we're talking about the 2005 film Goblet of Fire. My name is Michael Schantz. I'm from the How Dare You Awards. Joining me in this adventure, who I have a feeling he's going to hate this one, Tom Stewart from Lonesome Whistle Productions. Tell the good audience what you got, Tom. That's a big wand, isn't it? <laughs> Sums up the level of comedy in this movie. <laughs> it's like watching a bad British sitcom from the 70s that lasts two and a half fucking hours. <laughs> oh, so not a fan. Not a fan. So interestingly enough, I think we both labeled this movie as our fifth favorite mm-hmm. in the series, but you think yeah. it's a bad movie, and I, of course, think all these movies are a delight. This movie is directed by Mike Newell, who you also seem to not be too much of a I, fan of. I really, really, in the context of this movie, I, 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 don't, I, I don't mind him elsewhere, but this, I think it's because this is and especially compared to what we were just talking about with Azkaban, this to me is a bad match of director and material. This is not in his wheelhouse. There I might agree with you. But I I concede that he can turn his hand to a few different kinds of movies. But not this one. Well, it's funny because just speaking to other fans of the Potter series, this is often referred to as a really oh, high on f- people's What lists. is wrong with you as a community? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, carry on. I think there's a lot of great shit in this movie, but... If you if you like it, fictional it's a, sports, it's a, yeah. <laughs> And teenagers awkwardly flirting. Who doesn't like that? I don't like it for that long. <laughs> I like a bit of plot to break that up from now and again. All right, well, so let's get into it. What is your big fucking problem with this movie? <laughs> Go ahead. The floor is yours. This, for me, I think I've tried to put... By the way, before you start... This movie was shipped under the title Happy Days. Just thought you'd like that. Oh, so they wouldn't overcharge use them? The, use that in purposes of a joke wherever you feel like you can. Be- is that because they didn't want people to overcharge them because they were a Harry Potter movie? Was it like Blue Harvest? I don't know. I mean, that's why Return of the Jedi did it, right? So, Because they figured out people were charging double... Uh, to let them film because it was a Star Wars movie. Right. Oh, yeah. That's so often Maybe. movies will come up with a fake title, um, like a like a generic title that sounds like you you haven't got much money. Right. But how you explain a, a, the same boy <laughs> in glasses with a lightning bolt on his fucking forehead? But that that's exactly what like like someone on the set of uh, um someone was quoted as saying that exact thing like on the first day of shooting uh end the endor scenes in northern california they were like well clearly this is a star wars movie because there's han solo there's luke skywalker <laughs> and there's a bunch of stormtroopers <laughs> there's no way to film around the star warsness of it and likewise yeah. here yeah um i think probably 
I mean, mainly it's because this movie is just a bunch of set pieces and it just lunges from one to the other. Whereas I think only one of those set pieces is good. Or let's say successful at what it's trying to do. <laughs> so not good. But no, successful. I think it's great. I think there's one scene in this movie that is almost perfect. What's that? We'll talk. We'll get there. We'll get there. I oh, wanna, okay. I don't want right. to. I don't want to shoot my load now. I'm not. I'm not a horny. <laughs> I'm not one of the horny teenagers in this movie. Um, a shifty Tom Stewart, ladies and gentlemen. And while we're on that subject, uh, I'm not entirely comfortable with. The, the, you know that that this this yeah granted this is a sexual coming of age film and that makes sense given where the kids are in right. in school and their development and in the series but i'm not entirely comfortable with how horny these teenagers are all the time and just the amount of the movie that is spent on as i said awkward flirting at the expense of plot so put those two things together and it's a really tiresome movie for me. I guess part of part of what I think J.K. Rowling gets right in the books that of course is a different medium so you can you can you can flesh that out a little bit more mm. is those awkward moments of a teenage of a teenager and and that's one thing I always really liked about the fifth book in the fifth movie is they get the anger of a teenager is, you know, at the forefront. Well, it's just and... that it's, it's by, by playing all that too broadly with inexperienced actors who don't know how to kind of translate that. It, it just, it falls flat and you know, the, 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 my quotable from the beginning of the episode, that's a big wand, isn't it? You know, it's like, really, are we just going to do innuendo? It's the kind of thing that just makes me embarrassed to be British. Dick because jokes? It, because it's a British movie, we're we just going to have a bunch of dick jokes and that that aren't even, that, that, are, <laughs> that are so so innuendo-based, they won't even admit to being dick jokes. Right. Like, I just I just think it's... I couldn't believe this was the same length as Chamber of Secrets, given how much plot we got through versus how much we got through here. And that's a combination of there being too many big set pieces that do not do anything for the story. And well, just, not even sports events, just events. This is just yeah. sports and balls. <laughs> is this entire movie. <laughs> Until you get to the one scene where something happens. It's so low stakes for like three quarters of the movie. And then it lunges into probably the most important scene in all of the movies. And I'm just like, oh my God. Right. How can you how can you jump from one to the other? You don't have a choice. This is what this is what the book's about. This is it's the Goblet of Fire. We're at the Triwizard Tournament. That's the crux of this movie. So, does this book read like a sports almanac in the same way that the movie does? <laughs> what are you going back to Back to the Future? <laughs> no, it's just like here's the Quidditch World Cup and the Goblet of Fire and the first event and the second event and the third event and in the middle we'll have a ball and then it just it doesn't. It's all of that. Well, then that's tiresome. For you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't... Non, I mean, if... Okay, let me put it this way. If any of these sequences were in any way exciting or interesting in and of themselves as spectacles, maybe I would like them more. But you every, don't think the dragons are exciting? I think the dragon looked great. Something about that sequence just fell flat for me. Was not interested. Oh, I think that's the best one. Is that the one? Not in we... the whole movie, but of the you know the sports shit we're talking about right now. For sure, but that's not very high praise. <laughs> I mean, it's better. Than... 
it's better than the underwater one. Because there's nothing you want more in a movie that's already dragging horribly than a lengthy underwater sequence. As fans of Th- Thunderball will know. I, how did I know Thunderball would rear its fucking ugly head into this conversation? Because it's the it's the it's the <laughs> one big. Because even even to non-bond fanatics, it's the movie that demonstrates that that underwater sequences that this in movies doesn't work. are a bad idea, especially in movies that are already slow. Come on, moral fiber. They might as you know when once you got a and for the record, there are too many creatures in the water for me to understand what's going on down there. There's octopuses, there's mermaids. The fact that we don't deal with why those octopuses—that's not an up. octopus. It's a grindy low. <laughs> you know what? That's not making it better. The fact that it has a slightly weird name, not making it better. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no need. Not, not for my opinions, but for digressing. <laughs> oh shit. So, all right. <laughs> if I were to concede that that essentially what you're saying is correct, and there's a lot of truth in what you're saying. I think I just have too much love and affection for the world and for the characters and for whatever ha- is happening to to call this a bad movie. Compared to would you would you also concede compared to other movies? And I'm not talking about Brendan Gleeson here, of course. Is he the, he's mm-hmm. the one in this one, right? Yeah. He's the dark arts teacher for this movie. I'm not talking about Brent, Brendan Gleeson. Yes. Brendan Gleeson continues the noble tradition of the defense of the dark arts teacher being a right. brilliant but different character in their own right. Perfect. That they don't rip, they don't the new cast that they're bringing into this. Uh, no fault of the actors isn't as impressive largely because of how undercharacterized they all are like that that girl Do you mean comes like in from the other students the, and yeah yeah they're just meet they're just meet in the room yeah and Cedric is apparently this character who everyone adores and it's a big deal when he dies it's like I don't think I ever heard him speak. Like, who is well, this guy? Why is he so important? He spoke, I mean, but... in the movie, he's just represented as, like, kind of matinee idol... Yeah, yeah. Sex, like, preteen sex symbol. So is he, you know, the, the, the blonde woman who everyone comes in their pants over. Um, <laughs> the blonde girl comes... And she... she I easy, almost Tom. Easy, Tom. I Family almost show. She says one one line in this movie, if that... And well, it's, just, it's very under it's very underwhelming that. Well, so now this is my big problem with this movie. Not enough to say that I hate it or that I think it's bad. But. This movie and I alluded to this, I think we talked about it in, in our minisode or not so many minisode, <laughs> but. This this movie, I can feel the weight of how big the book is in this movie. And I think they were trying to fit so much in for the Potter fanatics that it actually hurts this movie. And I we talked about this in the last episode in which whatever Alfonso Cuaron did in working with how that movie was written or and how mm. that movie was presented he understands what's important he understands yes. what can go yes and he is able to give you little bits whether it comes in a different place you know the perfect example is the how that movie ends prisoner of azkaban ends with harry potter getting the new broomstick right mhm 
that in the book, he's delivered that broom in the middle of the book. Mm. But they assume that it's jinxed in a way where it's going to try to kill him. So they won't let him have it. And they're inspecting it for another quarter of the book. That kind of thing. Hmm. None of that's important. It's a gift from his godfather. So here, Harry, here's your broom for all the birthdays I've missed while I've been a rat for the last 15, 20 years. It says um, all that on the note? No. But, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's just yeah. like it's more efficient. And their insistence on including so much from this from the book, I think really hurts this movie. And I'll give well, you that. Well, it does. And, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but in terms of the 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 plot and then the overall development of the series, there's only really one scene in this movie that even counts. And that's the introduction of Voldemort. Yeah. And partially as, as a, it's a victim of its own success in that I think that is done so well that everything that came before it just seems like a distraction. Pales by comparison. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> I, I, in my notes I said, like, once it got to that scene, I was like, this has been like a sports day of a film. <laughs> right? This is like, this is like, feels like a day off. Well, let we, me ask you this, Where we just too, do though. sports. And then the Voldemort scene is like, the stakes here could not be higher. Right, yeah. But we've come from essentially people competing in a meaningless tournament. Uh, into spirit, Tom. Bite your tongue. This is for honor. So I... I and that's that's to the movie's credit that, you know, if it, if it had botched this final set piece in the way it botched all the other set pieces in the movie i probably wouldn't be as angry with it right but this is to me this is story-wise all that matters it's done perfectly well but it's what 10 15 minutes of the movie it's a long scene yeah but you can bore i i mean to, i don't know that's my take for that's an outsider's take on it that you know if i was coming to, into this movie with fresh script editor eyes, I'd be like, this is your movie. This is the meat of the movie. Build on this. Don't have it. Okay. As a, well then almost a post credit sequence. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, all right. You're an outsider, not a Harry Potter fan. This is, that's the end of the movie though. So, so, but nothing, nothing. What, what do you it's change? Not the end of the movie. It's the beginning of a, of another movie. Right. Yeah, it's the beginning of the whole. But rest what would of the you series. put at the beginning of this movie? Uh, because what it sounds like, obviously well, then, you're you're not going to do may- anything from the book at all, and just say, "Hey, go fuck yourself," and invent new. So what are you inventing? But but it's been successful. I mean, in in the previous two movies, I was going to say for all their flaws, the flaws are mainly in <laughs> Chamber of Secrets. Um, <laughs> They've always been able to to sort of to feel kind of complete in one thing and everything's drawing towards the same goal and conclusion. Certainly well, in Azkaban. It doesn't feel but this feels like this goes like set piece, set piece, set piece, set piece, thing you need to know. I could make an argument though that this movie has that same notion, but only with the benefit of hindsight, once you realize that there is a baddie inside of the gates who's been directing traffic. Right, but it's not as if I'm enjoying the movie that is the red herring. (laughs) (laughs) This is like the reverse of Die Hard with a Vengeance, you know, where I'm like, no, please don't stop the red herring plot. That's my favorite part. Right. I'm I'm here. This this is this is as if you know the Jeremy Irons triple bluff bit. It, this no, I tell you what this is. This is as if Gal du Nord from Die Hard with a Vengeance <laughs> is the best part of the movie, and we're uh, just spending all that time doing stupid math games to get there. Oh <laughs> Which man, it's kind of true. However, 
I don't want to give up that, but I would happily give up any of these many sporting events. Well, but I grew up with sports, so maybe that's why I connect with it on that level, too. And I love a sports movie. If you can do a sports movie, and I don't think Mike Newell can. That's what I mean about okay. this not being in his wheelhouse. I haven't seen him do any other kind of fantasy stuff, so I don't know if that's the problem. But All I right. certainly feel like he's not a director of action in a way that's big enough to well accommodate the scale of these events. Like the first yeah. one, I'm just like, I'm like, you need a really, really strong director to make this feel even vaguely coherent. All these fucking broomsticks flying around this giant stadium. <laughs> and he does, he doesn't really do anything with it. So, I mean, well, it's and a also good, it's, it's a good short. job it gets blown up. It's a good job it gets blown up because that scene was going nowhere. Right. Yeah. So in the book, there is a full description of the match and the match itself doesn't last long. But again, it's just one of those things where the match itself is just a, a means to an end to get to the Death Eaters showing up and the dark mark appearing really and this you know a lot of my feelings about these sequences are, are the are kind of hangover feeling from that we're we're going backwards from azkaban from azkaban i'll give you that because this is like the first nearly the first thing you see is the return of over ambitious visual spectacle which mm -hmm. is what we'd cleansed from the in series. the previous movie. We've, you know, it was very much there in Chamber of Secrets. I assume it's there in Sorcerer's Stone as well. Um, as I will never see it. And, uh, <laughs> and Azkaban kind of, it purged all that. And now, not only is it coming back, it's coming back in a way that is even, I mean, you know, at least Columbus knows how to, how to do a sports set piece i don't think mike newell does none of these sequences make me think he he is the man to be doing this all right well let's leave it there for now and we'll take a break and then we'll come back and discuss mike newell and this movie even more really do we have to we're going to right after this I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we're back. Tom and I are here. I don't know. Arguing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm you, kind of uh, trying uh, to defend the Goblet of Fire, which I find, you know, I'll just say this: I recognize that there are flaws in this movie, mm -hmm. but I'm I'm so infatuated with the world itself, I could never call any of these movies bad. Sorry, not sorry. I mean, what you're describing there—if you replaced Harry Potter with Donald Trump. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, fuck yourself. <laughs> that's just, that's MAGA thinking. How anyway. dare you? Yeah, I know. How dare you? <laughs> um, <laughs> how dare you for abandoning your job, which is to review these sequels with, you know, a degree of objectivity. I'm being taking, a bit taking objective into the here. Fact, taking into the fact that we all like, that both of us will never say anything bad about a movie from the 70s to the 90s. <laughs> I recognize that this movie has flaws. I just haven't lost the childlike wonder in my heart like you have. I, well, you're definitely onto something there. <laughs> that is... I, I, well, you know, there's, there's hope. I don't think it'll ever happen, but... Um, I certainly, ha after having become a father, I've reinvested in a few things that I was too jaded to appreciate as a as a childless adult. Oh, I don't think these are going to be one of them because I have no nostalgia for them or connection with them. Um, but, you know, you never know. I'm going to, like, you know, a Moriarty level kind of start sending your son gifts of Harry Potter apparel <laughs> and shirts and shit. Till he starts asking about it. You think those it. would make it past my mailbox? <laughs> do you, re in the words of Michael Michael Corleone, do you really think I'd let that happen? <laughs> I'll have. I gotta plan it in a way where I know exactly when it's going to arrive and exactly when you're gone from your home. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna life. hear. I'm gonna hear from my son that he was approached outside his daycare by a, by a bald man in glasses and a beard who handed him a Harry Potter book, aren't I? I'm gonna hear this from the teachers at the school. It's like we were really worried. He's. No, I know this Tom. Guy I did a podcast with, a with him. Hat and I know a wand your dad. Showed up. <laughs> yeah. But you know, ne never say no. never. I just, I just think this is, this is, this is ineptly made. I think that's my big beef with it. Okay, I, I you know, I, I think you're on to something as far as Mike Newell not being a match for the series. I mean, one of the first moments is where I recognize that is even before we get to the big Quidditch match at the beginning when they have the port key, huh. and. The kids kind of slam to the ground, and the adults are like pedaling their feet in air mm. as they gently glide to the ground. Mm -hmm. The whole the whole look of it, I thought. I thought. I think to myself, okay, well, that's not great. Yes, and I yes, absolutely. I one of the again, you know, we're we're making unfair comparisons you should judge this movie for what it is not what it came after but right that cartoonish look yeah which i think is even more so than chamber of secrets yeah it looks like it's out of a warner brothers cartoon for sure and so much of this you know just just this this general kind of air or fog of cheapness around this movie which is not because the movie is cheaply made. It's because effects have backfired mm -hmm. and because there's not enough artistic consideration of things. Like, the, the, the for some reason, the thing that really bothers me is such a minor thing. The <laughs> Potter Stinks badge? Uh-huh. I mean is the word... It just so, so cartoonish. And I feel... Bad saying cartoonish in a pejorative way. I can't think of a better way to say this is cheap. It looks cheap and nasty is what I should say as an effect. Because I think they've gone, it doesn't really matter what it looks like. Makes the point. You know, it's that thing where, where someone at some point has signed off on this out of laziness. And there are so many examples of that in this movie where I feel like it's like, we're never going to get this right. Let's not even try. You know, and that's not about badges, the effects not, not working. That's just about. I can. I. I. I mean, I find you know there. I. I find there. The problem I think with this movie is those moments are peppered throughout it. Yeah. So you never leave it. Right. And and I would say the same thing about Mal Malfoy being turned into a ferret. I would say the same thing about 
the big one for me is the description in the book, and this is leaping way towards the end to the scene I think we both love, but, you know, when Voldemort is made into Voldemort, the description in the book is vivid, where Harry is unable to, you know, he's trapped. He's, like, been bound and kind of not gagged, but he's, you know, yeah. he's tied up and he can't move. And and you get his inner thoughts of, please don't let it work. Please don't let it be real. Please don't, mm. you know. And then you have uh, this really great description of, of, like, a sickly white figure crawling out of the pot. Mm-hmm. And it's so visceral and so I just love the moment in the book. And so the real CGI moment of the pot raising up yeah. off the ground and disappearing in Voldemort, like I, I really don't I, I I have an adverse reaction to that specifically. Yeah, uh, I definitely I definitely agree with that. Once Ray finds opens his eyes, game on. Yeah. But and he he very much carries that scene and makes everyone work a little harder, I think. Yeah. To make well, let me ask good. you this, though. Talking about your favorite subject, the shitty kids. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, upon this viewing, I was more than ever way into Rupert Grint and the falling out of his relationship with Harry in this movie and the anger between them. I really liked all of that. Mm. And that was really shining through me. And I thought Rupert Grint's acting in this movie leapt to another level that I thought was really good. Mm. Maybe I need to watch it again. So, oh man, nothing would make me happier than do you have to watch this. I'm movie not going again. to. <laughs> of course, I'm not going to. And there's this uh, great moment when they finally make up, and he, you know, Ron explains his thought process of if Harry just figured out, well, I did this, and I, you know, told this person who's supposed to tell you to warn you about the dragons, and he's like, figured once you figured that out, we'd be okay. And Harry just kind of shakes his head. It's like. Who could ever figure that out? It's completely <laughs> mental. But now that they're friends again and Hermione's sitting below them and she just sort of shakes her head looking at them, she's like, boys, love that. All right. I have I have nothing about Ron in my notes, so he was probably fine. So he was probably okay? Uh, I, I reserve most of my venom for Hermione. Uh... Man, you hate her in a way that I just don't understand. I sure, love her. yeah, I don't like the actress at all. Even as even as a grown up, I don't like her. But um, it's what How they do. It's what you. they do with her here that really, really pisses me off. I think I don't want this Cinderella Sabrina thing happening to her. She was such a. She was like Karam was doing such a good job turning her into a badass heroine, like punching Malfoy in the face. Right. Okay. I can yeah. just see him on set go, just punch him in the face. Yeah. What else would you do? And here, <laughs> you know, that, and I mean, this is a gender thing. It's not a, a performance thing necessarily, but getting her to like, well, I was just going to put ask, on is... the party dress and suddenly like everyone's in love with her and blah, 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 stupid. stupid. Everybody stupid. likes to be liked, though, Tom, mm. especially teenage boys and girls. Mm hmm. Well, yeah, it was it was just like garbage. <laughs> God damn it! You need, How about you need... Brendan Gleeson? Can't we at least agree oh, on Brendan great. Gleeson? I mean, it's fu- fucking great. I <laughs> he's love so Bre- good. I love Brendan. I mean, I ki- I was kind of, and again, I was kind of a little bit. Because this is the so the, by the end of the movie they figure out he's he's like a pod, right? I mean, not in, I'm using my own language here to explain it. You know, he's like a he's he's David Tennant in disguise throughout the movie, <laughs> right? Yeah, the whole time we see him. Correct. That's a bit of a polyjuice potion, Tom. Polyjuice potion. That's a bit of a letdown. 
on the other hand, I get that it was like bringing out aspects of his character that he does have, so it's not entirely right false. And when you see him, but again, again, that's one of the moments I don't like. With you know, is Barty Crouch is able to figure out that it's his fucking son because he has this lick my entire mouth tick. <laughs> All I'm going to say is they really need to review their hiring policies at Hogwarts. Because <laughs> even the people you trust yeah. are, in fact, but, yeah, and the, Voldemort's the, the evil, evil servants. But there are moments, it's interesting, because... I... I... I mean, he's such a lunatic in this movie that you don't feel Harry getting especially close to him. No. But you do feel, in the books, the kids are all kind of in awe of him because of everything he's seen and done. And there's a little bit of that at play here that, you know, he's... I don't get that at all. I think it's just... Well, there's this moment where Ron kind of says, you know, like, that was, like, that lesson was crazy. Like, he's really been there and done it, right? But this is the moment where he's showing him all the unforgivable curses and that kind of shit, which does seem ill-advised at best for a teacher. Yeah, and, you know, he Blenning Gleeson plays what he's given, which is a fear-monger. Yeah. Uh, which is, is great because it contrasts with both of the previous two teachers. It is like mm-hmm. an. It's again. It's an entirely different. It's flavor. an entirely it's, different thing. It's what's exactly supposed. But I, I do think it's interesting that at the end of the day, and this is alluded to in the books, where Harry, like Harry, at at a certain point decides he'd like to be an Or, and catch dark wizards, but this was an idea given mm. to him by a criminal who was posing as his teacher. And he recognizes that that's strange, but he's never been able to shake that this is what he, you know, wants to do. And and there's something, not that it's, you know, again, you're right in the sense of like, that's not heavily at play here in the sense that it's talked about, but but I find it interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, just on a, you know, sometimes you were talking about it's a, a minor thing that you don't like, but there's a minor thing that I really love from Brendan Gleeson. Mm-hmm. And it's the moment where he just sort of plainly asks Harry, what are you going to do about your dragon? <laughs> and Harry doesn't have any answers. And he goes, like, Potter, what are you good at? And he's like, I don't know. Like, I, I'm, a, I'm a good flyer. I'm a fairly decent flyer. And he says, well, pretty good from what I hear. And, and he says, yeah, but I'm not allowed a broom. And that moment where he says, you're allowed a wand. Mm. And in that moment, there's, you know, it's it's like he's reminding Harry the entire essence of who he is as a person is that he's a wizard. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I love that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he does, does a fantastic job. I have no... I wish there was more of him in the movie and less preparing for the school prom, which takes up about 40, 50 minutes of the movie. And you know, and here's another dilemma for me. This is a movie of Put a couple of dilemmas. Put your yourself in One the is, mindset of a teenager, Tom. Well, there's two, two big dilemmas. The first one we've talked about, the, 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 the Voldemort scene in this movie is, is wonderful, but it's unreflective of the rest of the movie would it have been better if that was crap and then i could just say this was a bunch of crap i don't know (laughs) this would you be happier the thing probably the scene i dislike the most in the movie is there what do you what do they call it what's the what's the real word sorry the unreal word for it i'm calling it a school prom what do they call it wizards it's just the tri-wizard ball just just the tri-wizard ball okay um, <laughs> nothing weird about that. Uh, I, that's the scene I like least in the entire movie. Um, and yet in the middle of it, Jarvis Cocker sings an, a, a song, originally an original song. And that's so rare from him, especially at this point in his career. Okay. Which is glorious. And I was, you know, I just spent the whole time going, this is wonderful. 
I wish it wasn't surrounded by garbage. <laughs> and my least favorite scene in a very bad movie. Um, so that was the other dilemma I had that that's the coolest thing that's happened in a Harry Potter movie yet. Probably ever. And it was surrounded by so much... Lost on you. Well, it's just, you know, the, the, the scenes don't go anywhere. And I think if, if you are going to do that, everyone's a teenager and awkward around each other, you need to do it with more confidence and clarity than the actors are doing it, the directors are doing it, and I guess the writers are doing it because there's no real writing in those scenes. It's just writing around having actual conversations. I think there are moments, you know, there, there are tidbits that I like. I love it when Ron's date asks him if he's ever going to dance with her. He just sort of, no. Hmm. So she leaves. I love that moment. I didn't love anything about it. <laughs> I'm not, And I guess overall, I'm not entirely comfortable with, I don't think they're old enough for me to have such intimate sexual information about these characters like i don't I mean think... they're all in middle school so what were you like in middle school <sighs> I don't... the amount of talking yeah, I mean... that my guy friends talked about the women in middle school like we were in love with everybody i don't want to see harry and ron essentially having wet dreams with each other what scene is this it's sort of metaphorical <laughs> What the fuck are you talking about? Every time it's the two of them in their room and they've got these kind of glazed post-orgasm expressions on their faces. I just don't I just don't like the all the implications around that. I just feel like I, they're not old enough for me well, to be Well, stop entirely... reading into it what's not there. It is there. It's definitely <laughs> there. That's a big wand, isn't it? Fancy something sweet, do you? <laughs> Them both lying in bed with that, you know, dreaming about, uh, no, I mean, yeah, may, maybe, you know, maybe it's me being prudish and conservative or whatever, but I just don't, I don't want to know that much about what's going on with them pubescently. I understand that this is a coming of age film, but I kind of need someone who is like Quran, who is kind of like bridging the gap between what is appropriate and not appropriate to do with children. <laughs> like, I feel like, I feel like both Columbus and Quran have a better handle on that than Mike Newell. And every right. scene leaves me feeling unnerved and uncomfortable that, that these do, these feel like kids who have grown up too quickly. And I never got that sense in prisoner of Azkaban, even though they were younger than this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right, fine. And everyone is as everyone is as horny as hell, and oh, it it it's... that's the way kids are, Tom. I get that. But... Your son will be that horny someday. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> you take that back. All right, we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about maybe the one scene that Tom does like in this movie. Right after this. <laughs> Where do you get your coffee? Do you frequent a place that burns their beans and loads their coffee with sugar to hide it? It's time to switch your coffee habits, people. Check out The Brew Bar. It's a coffee shop, bar, and eatery wrapped up in a singularly magical experience. Tim and Alex run the place and will set you straight. These guys know their coffees. And when they're done, so will you. But it doesn't end there. Not in the mood for a straight-ahead coffee? They have you covered. They've got espresso drinks, all kinds of teas, and even coffee cocktails. That's right, coffee tales. But it doesn't end there. Bottle service on craft beers and wines, alcoholic and caffeinated brews and potions, and an all-day food menu with plenty of vegan options. The Brew Bar is located in downtown Chula Vista and is the best place to be for beer, wine, coffee, and tea. That's The Brew Bar. Check it out.
And we're back. Once again, Tom and I are here discussing Goblet of Fire, yet another Harry Potter film. <laughs> that should have been the actual title. <laughs> Harry Potter and the yet another Harry Potter film. <laughs> oh, your disdain pleases me. Okay, so... You know, we've talked in previous episodes about how, say, like, Quidditch gets more interesting or or looks better. <laughs> what about the... Uh, up until this point, yes. Yeah. <laughs> what about the maze at the end of this movie? Because th- this is the one thing where fans, I think, have a, a big gripe with this movie because it doesn't match the book. And somehow, I don't know how or why, this movie ran out of money to do some of the stuff that they wanted to do. Oh, so I wasn't too far off. I mean, I was I was trying to... I, I assumed that the, the nastiness was just tacky filmmaking, but it might have actually been budgetary, too. In the maze, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Or, or... So, did you have an adverse reaction to the maze? Do we need another set piece? <laughs> That's your note. <laughs> no, I'll tell you what, Matt. You want to know what my actual note is? Yeah. And you can, and you can track my tone throughout <laughs> these movies through these notes. Now we're going into a maze. <laughs> we, I was like, I, uh, this is this is quite quite funny to cutting through the anger. We, they found another long-winded concept to fill up yet another sporting set piece. <laughs> Uh, How about Filch's cannon shots? Aren't those at least funny? I think and uh, the zombies and the killer tree branches. Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory meet the meets the Hunger Games. <laughs> um, it looks like I don't have an opinion really on it. It's starting to get to the bit of the movie I really like. Yeah, I think I, it was a. I had definitely had set feast set piece fatigue at that point okay i'm like i can't keep doing this it's like to add again like we've already had a lengthy underwater sequence now you're giving us a maze right (laughs) will this movie not just not end and then like like a an order of the phoenix from the flames (laughs) this movie becomes good for a few minutes 20 in a in like five minutes in like, uh, did they transplant a scene from the previous movie to this one? <laughs> Good. <laughs> and by the way, can you imagine? What I'm glad Alfonso... that it raises to that level for you. Sorry, mm-hmm. what'd you say? By the way, can you imagine uh, a Harry Potter sexual coming of age movie directed by Alfonso Cuarón, the director of Itumama Tambien? Yeah, right. That is like to talk of talk about wheelhouse. <laughs> that man made his name on horny teenagers in cinema. You know what's funny too? Like I read in in some notes that he was I don't know if he was close, but they offered him to to direct the fourth movie and he was mm. considering it and it was just like such a quick turnaround for him that he he declined. But so he It was he, something he, that was in the works. It could have happened. I mean, that's all that is a hundred percent always the right decision on on the director's side to turn it down. You don't. I mean, it never. The next one would never. It would always be the topic of derision. I think. I mean, I think he's incapable of making a bad. Well, movie. yeah, if I was just gonna about, say. I don't know, like, if you like the. I mean, I despise Skyfall. Talking about the Bond films again. Not that I need to tell you that. Uh, but Sam Mendes, everyone loves Skyfall. He does. He comes back for Spectre, and it was a similar thing where he said he wasn't going to do it. Then he did, and came back for Spectre, and everyone fucking hated that. Uh-huh. So it's like it's never gonna. It's always going to be better for the director's reputation, even though I think Spectre's a better film because it's not the worst piece of garbage ever made. But um, wow, well they're not sequels. We're never going to do them. Oh yeah, Skyfall is in my bottom two Bond films. Wow. I like Skyfall. Just, just above Moonraker. <laughs> but anyway, I think that was a good decision on his, but I'm glad he didn't. 
because I think it would have been harder to do mm-hmm. the second time round. But for the for the sake of this movie, I think the mat- weirdly the material of this movie is perfect for him, <laughs> and absolutely the wrong kind of material for Mike Newell. Yeah. Well, and is part of what's missing in this movie is, and it's not that there's not a mystery aspect to the movie, but there's not, the kids themselves aren't actively trying to figure something out or catch somebody or something. And maybe that's... I think you're right. Yeah. Again, it's like, it's those, that murder mystery element, which was there at least in the last two movies... Mm -hmm. It it's it's kind of yeah it, it like it, it it there's there's intrigue there there's the sense of high stakes yeah that we've got to find something out to prevent something happening here the stakes just appear like hey <laughs> big stakes coming at you and you're like whoa I thought All right, I was let's watching get... a broomstick con I thought I was watching a broomstick competition <laughs> but now now it's now it's the devil himself in human form oh man well so let's get to that i mean let's get to the oh, let's get to the so thing we good. like i mean come so, on so so good what an entrance right come on i mean we've been waiting you got to at we've least give that to me oh well, I I give you and anything you say about good about this scene, I'll probably agree with. Yeah. Uh, cutting off his own hand. Mm-hmm. Fucking stabs Harry, <laughs> <laughs> and then is born. I'm like, what an entrance! <laughs> All right. I mean, it's 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 beautiful, and then you're like. Added to the fact that this is a star entrance as well as a yeah a big character entrance. I mean, Ray Fiennes is still like one of the most famous people to be in any of these movies. We've not seen him before, right? No, no, it no. It was just a it was just a mask before, right? Yeah. If anything, I mean, in the first movie, it's CGI on the back of somebody's head. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> It's it's great, you know. I got nothing, and then and then as soon as they come out of it, like it's back to a like it's then they have an impromptu funeral for for Cedric. Well, but with a with a with a tuba, it's like come on, guy just died. Well, they didn't know that yet, but I actually find. <laughs> Well, first, let's talk about, you know, the Death Eaters return. Yeah, I think that's probably a big part of it, too. You know, you get you get a little senior Malfoy. Mm. So who doesn't, you know, a major like what? So we don't know for sure at this point, right? No, what for sure? Do we? I can't remember if we already know that he's. He's one of Voldemort's. Oh, yeah, we know. I mean, in the second movie, he gives the diary that's a horcrux to Ginny Weasley. I mean, just, you know, the guy's got a fucking cane with a snake head on it. So (laughs) he's pretty much announcing evil everywhere he goes. You don't know who's on whose side. Like, he could just be a dick who hates Harry Potter. I sympathize. Be, being a dick who hates Harry Potter. <laughs> but it seemed like a kind of revelatory moment. I don't know why. No, I, not, I don't think how... for, you know, from from his first introduction with long silver hair and the cold eyes and, yeah. and the, you know, the, the, the cane with a his wand hidden inside of it. He, he seems pretty pretty evil it's like i i think it was just like it's also the the switch in genre from like a high school sports movie to something that is very suddenly and very strongly a horror movie uh and that that change is not negotiated well but I'm grateful that we at least went there. I'm glad it's there. I, and I find it very affecting when he first 
when they first come back with the cup as the port key and somebody realizes that something terrible has happened and when mm. when the father comes down and he's yelling that's my boy that gets me every time it but the the they it's kind of an illusion that the ever we ever did anything with this character enough to care about them I think as an outsider that's how it seems to me well I think that's one of the things that I find remarkable about it too though that I think it's I think it's just a remarkable piece of acting I don't know the guy's name but you know his father was so when he sees Cedric his dead son mm. just just his re, you know his reaction is able to draw me in I don't know how it couldn't if you had, you know, a soul and a heart. What's his last name? <laughs> Diggory. Hig Diggory. Amos yeah, Amos character? Diggory. Yeah. Jeff Roll. Looking to see what he was yeah, in. Yeah, I don't know him. Oh, I love that actor. Oh, he's so good. Jeff Roll from Drop the Dead Donkey and lots of other British things. Yeah, he's great. Drop um, the so I'm Dead sure, Donkey. I don't remember it, but I'm... Boy, does that sound British? That's a show about that's a show about tabloid journalists. It's great. Um, oh, nice. Anyway, no, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he he does a great job. I mean, it's like it's kind of funny with like what we to think how Robert Patterson's kind of been through the cycle already. Like he's gone from like he 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 he's like cheesecake. Mm-hmm. Then he does the Twilight movies, and he's like slightly gothy cheesecake, but still cheesecake. <laughs> and now he's fucking Batman. Yeah, right. Um, but here, I, you know, I, I get the sense that they're like, this guy is a sex symbol. You know, we're trying to turn this guy into a sex symbol. Mm-hmm. But, but really, nothing else. And then in the next few movies, everyone's talking about how much he meant to them. But, and I'm sure that's true. But we never, apart from the fact he died. No, it's like JFK syndrome where suddenly everything they do is perfect because they died. I but... think it feels in this movie that maybe Mike Newell was just banking on the fact that he and Harry help each other try to get past. And, the you know, Harry tells him about the dragons. That he doesn't fuck him over like everyone else right, in his life. Yeah. And that, it, like, you know, it, it feels that's weak. I, I'll agree with that completely that it's weak. But that's that's what those seem to be about. Or if that's true, he needs to have more lines that speak to that. Or mm-hmm. or just lines. <laughs> well, that's the thing, though. That's the thing about these movies. You take all these, like, by your description, these, you know, br- national British treasures that we get in the first movies, but you keep adding to them and adding and adding and adding. And in these bigger books that you're trying to, that you have one movie things start feeling spread thin. And the fourth and the fifth movie, I think, are the biggest culprits of that. Right. I suppose that the the thing that, although I think it's worse than this overall, the thing that this kind of say, you know, it's, it's at least in the later movies, they have the good sense that when you only have an act, you only have a an interesting actor in for a, for a scene or two you give them like a hefty monologue or something significant to do mm-hmm. here well i guess it works with brendan gleason has a lot to do but um yeah i mean this movie's heavy on mad eye moody yeah or well and i suppose that you know Bernie it's like crouch's I son as mad eye moody and david tennant only turns up one more time yeah, you don't even like, see him a... at the end. And this is a big this movie drops the ball in that moment too. In the book, there's a big deal made out of uh Dementor coming with the Minister of Magic and administering like the Dementor's kiss. Yeah. Like none of that's even referred to. In this movie, you know, it's just not discussed what what happened to the character. And, and then we sort we sort of get that like they do a they do a, a bait and switch at the beginning where you think uh, Pettigrew's going to be in it a lot and then you be like oh then it doesn't matter that he was hardly in the last movie mm-hmm. and he's only in that first scene right 
Well, he's at the end too. He's part of the and graveyard the scene. Uh, and you know, it's and also the 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 tone of the cast is different. They are going for British national treasures, but they're going for what Mike Newell thinks is a British national treasure, which is exclusively sitcom stars from the 1970s to the 1980s. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Sykes, Francis <laughs> Delator, all these people who uh, uh, the Jeff Rawls is the same. He had a sitcom in the 80s too. It's it's like his roots as a TV comedy director are apparent both in how he handles the comedy as a kind of like a, a sitcom like fast, the ferret up the trousers, mm-hmm. the 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 you know, crappy jokes about fake legs tapping and stuff. Um and also, you know, he's he's not picking I mean they they, they are great, you know, they are great actors, but he's going for something very spe- very specific T kind of TV style which is where he comes from as a director. And it's just weird you when you have so much to play with in that cast. Yeah. That you wouldn't stretch yourself a bit more, I think, from where you started from. Although of course Gary Oldman does come back as a fireplace. <laughs> yeah. And you only realize how bad that fireplace looks when it comes back in previous in ne- in the in the following movies. Well, because there's the inconsistencies. That's the thing. Like Mike Newell makes a decision in this movie of him showing up in the coals. That's <laughs> not legacy. It's not part of the books. Literally, you can just throw the flu powder in and put your head in, and your head will appear mm. in the fire. Which is kind of what they do in the next movie, but even that's like it's. Well, part, it looks a lot better. Part of the flames, and it looks a lot better, but. So there are you know inconsistencies within. The choices that Mike Newell makes that cause problems later. You know, for hmm. other directors to make other choices. And that's interesting because, uh, at least for our purposes, we've gone. F- we've had three different directors already. Yeah. Uh, and the the next movie we do is a new director again, although he'll stay until the end. Until the end, right? Which is kind of it's you know I feel like I think I feel like everyone's putting their stamp on. Like I I I def I can see this in terms of what each of these directors has done before and since. Well, I mean, I see a stamp in each of the movies, but this one doesn't ring out. It, this one, no. you know, it's, it's you know, a half, half-hearted attempt at a stamp at best. So, Well, I think it's just, it's just sort of disappointing that, you know, he thinks puberty, teenagers, sexual coming of age, and he goes immediately to, like, the worst possible sitcom version of that in the way he handles things. And I think that is, like... I don't, and it baffles me because he's like an established film director by this point. Mm-hmm. As something about it kind of being British or being like a certain kind of material that he reverts to like really bad habits and instills those bad habits in the cast as well. Mm. Particularly, you know, actors who are so inexperienced they really need an assured hand to tell them how to do things tonally. Right. And then don't think they're getting that from this director. I think they're getting just like, make it funny. (laughs) Do something funny. (laughs) I get that a lot of the time, especially with Emma Watson, which sucks. We've we've had that experience before. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Maybe Maybe that's it. It's like instinctively I feel that that I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to say because you can never go back in time and watch. Yeah, right. <laughs> if I had a time machine, I wouldn't waste it on watching Mike Newell direct Goblet of Fire. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I get, I get the sense that you know, probably this is a this is a movie where actors were asking, "What do I do with this?" and not getting a clear answer. Interesting. I get that feeling with pretty much every performance in this movie, aside from like 
the foolproof Brendan Gleeson, who probably probably never asks a director. I like <laughs> I liked Ron Weasley. I thought Rupert yeah. Grint was bringing it. But it's good. It's good that they have some kind of conflict as well. I think. Yeah. You you can't keep them like best friends without without having a fight. Of, yeah. You. Yeah. I think it. It's. It's important that we have these kind of developments in the in the friendships and the relationships. Yeah. But. You know. We've had the previous two movies have, have hung on a real plot. Right. Like a real identifiable plot. And this one is kind of muddy in that area. Because I the won't plot is disagree. Just, it's just event after event yeah. after event. And then But I enjoy all the events. Ugh. <laughs> Alright. Anything left for you to say before we go? Good. Let's end it there. Talking about bad <laughs> Talking about bad habits. <laughs> we're back to this problem of which which animals underwater are being chained up? Is it the mermaids who are chained underwater? No, the people are chained. Okay. Why are we torturing magical creatures and thinking it's fine? They're not tortured. What are you talking about? They're in, they're in chains underwater. The people are in chains as part of the contest. You're the p- person who's most important to you, and you have to save them. I'm talking. No, I'm talking about the, uh, the there's there's some there's some underwater creatures that are chained underwater, and no one comments on it. I think you hate no? this movie so much. You're just remembering it, Ron, so you can re- give it more shit. Cage dragons. Okay, the dragons and students are students held underwater hostage. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, like, again, this is, like, uncommented on bondage and torture. <laughs> which is... Seems They've to been be given a, a potion, Tom. Thing. They've been given a potion. They don't feel or know anything that's going on. I don't, I don't buy that. They wake up when they get out of the water. It's all that good. That sounds like apologizing for date rape. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> you are... Which I, gar- I guarantee you happens in between scenes in this movie. Anyway. <laughs> These teenagers are so fucking horny they can't help themselves. I'm sorry I asked you for a last word. You're done. Well, you should know better. <laughs> Do Let's... it with a movie where I might say something nice. Let's move we'll on. Different... Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you agree with Tom, go ahead and give us a little shout out. I don't think you do, though. I think most people are on my side. I'm being as fair and objective as I can. I still love the movie, though. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Instagram or Twitter and send us a message. Or write us an email to the Everything Sequel Podcast at gmail.com. Please rate and review us. Say goodbye, Tom. As fair and objective as you can be when showing no fairness or objectivity. Just say goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you next time, everybody.